This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of November 13th, 2023. We are just hurtling toward the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are in the midst of the club's quarterfinals next week. I believe we will finish spades? up. Is it spades next week? Spades was first. Spades was first. Oh, darn it. I'm It'll be hearts a... next. Right. Believe, okay. Because we had diamonds. Now we're in clubs. And then you're in hearts. Anyway. Yeah, that's where we are. Before we get to the Jeopardy, Emily, how's it going? It's going all right. People are about to start arriving for Thanksgiving, so that will be fun. My husband has gotten a meat smoker thing, um, and he's going to make the turkey. His mom is vaguely horrified because there won't be drippings to make homemade gravy. Because when you smoke it, like it's on, it's like on a grill thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't get the pan full of turkey juice. We can get gravy from, like, from the grocery store. Which I don't it, don't tell I, my mother-in-law, but it's what I've been doing anyway. No, no. I wonder it. I wonder if it's a generational thing, because my mother also, like, insists on making gravy from the drippings, and I have come to the acceptance that. Don't think it tastes good mm-hmm. with at least the way she makes it. I'm not going to tell her that. But one good thing about having a lot of people over is we'll just get stuff from the store and be like, well, we wanted to make sure we had enough, mm-hmm. you know, and be like, yeah, you can go ahead and make the, make, the, make the dripping gravy, make the gravy. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and if people want the gravy that is perhaps maybe not made with so much fat. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but you can have that yeah does she listen to the podcast my mom no yeah okay she does cool it would it would surprise me if she could figure it out <laughs> I've, had, I've had some older generation folks get very confused about how do you listen to a podcast mm-hmm. some of them i help them set up on their phone like subscribing to the podcast but i don't think that they then know how to go into the app i suspect that their their storage is just filling up with episodes of us yep and they're like uh, why can't i take more videos of my grandkids yep and then and then others have seemed to think that it was just a one-off thing they listened to one of our episodes and we're they were like that's nice yep yeah it's yeah. okay like we just we just keep doing it every week but that's okay you don't have to you don't have to listen right yeah how are you doing i'm doing okay yeah got some irons in the fire job wise and hopefully that turns into something yay i hope so yeah yeah just really working on my patience Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. now it is a season of growth or something Mm -hmm. so yeah so yeah i have my nobody wants to work anymore as a sham rant but we don't need to today right. like right. so many people are sending out so many applications and like the computers don't seem to care about passing the applications along to humans or something i don't know and then people are like nobody wants to work anymore and i'm like they really do though do you, you do you do you have any idea how much effort people are putting into trying to work 
but you know ideally a job that pays enough for us to survive right like that's there, how dare some... you? maybe if you stopped with the avocado toast yeah <laughs> yeah maybe if i just got my bootstraps yep then that would be uh skip starbucks got... every day for a thousand years exactly so. <laughs> yeah yeah anyway <laughs> that's enough of our millennial nonsense manifest okay yeah all right <laughs> So on Monday, November 13th, we have the returning contestants, Fred Nelson, a university professor from Fresno, California, Stuart Crane, a product line manager from Kalispell, Montana, and Emily Fiasco, a middle school band director Woo. from St. Louis, Missouri. I remember Emily because I remember rooting for her as a yeah. middle school band director. Well, and Fiasco is such a great last it's, name. It's, it is, it, I feel like you could use it for so much good the jeopardy run categories are the auto man empire songs and musicals old names for medical conditions describing the artwork dogs and cats living together mass hysteria and letter and word i believe that's from ghostbusters the dogs and cats living together line oh i didn't recognize it i've watched ghostbusters a lot i realize <laughs> in my mm -hmm. life I, I have most of most of that movie basically memorized which i'm not sure i'm proud of well i'm proud of you thanks <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> there are some good good one-liners there anyway mm -hmm. the 600 dollars level of describing the artwork in this work mom is seated facing left or is it right anyway she's clad in black with a white lace cap emily got that it's whistler's mother but isn't that not technically the name of the work isn't it like study in study black in and gray black and or something yeah. I, arrangement I, in gray and black number I, one but you know, I think I think at this point though it has become also called that. Yeah, I think it would be a wrong call on Jeopardy's part to reject Whistler's mother and demand arrangement in gray and black number one. But I guess I was expecting Ken to be like, "That's what we call it." Give then, like yeah. the technical like real name. Yeah, but that's I, okay. Yeah, I mean, at what point does enough people calling something something, even if that's not what it's really called? you know, become mm -hmm, its name. Mm -hmm. Letter and word when they, oh, they got the first one correct and then sort of lost track of the gimmick. It was each correct answer was a letter and then a word that make up a mm -hmm. phrase. So the first one they went to was 600, the most common human blood type. Make sure to include whether it's positive or negative. Fred got that one. It's O positive. But then a few clues later, they were at the $400 level. In 1954 experiment, U.S. Air Force Dr. John Stapp accelerated to 632 miles per hour in five seconds, surviving 46 of these units. And Fred tried what's a G, which if there weren't the wordplay, I think 46 mm -hmm. Gs is fine. Right. And then Stuart tried what's G for gravity, but Emily got it with G force. Yeah. 46 G's is a lot of G's. That's a lot of G's. I went on a ride at Epcot without realizing that it was going to have a centrifuge back when I was a, a new Disney goer. The mission space, by the way, if anybody has an upcoming disney trip mission space green does not have a centrifuge mission space orange does have a centrifuge that's the difference so like know that right. going in the green was fine so we went on the orange and oof oof that one goes to like 2.4 g's which is almost as much as an astronaut experiences like leaving earth um that's insane 
Yeah. So 46, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I feel like, shouldn't that be like snapping your bones? That's yeah, you would a think. a ton of gravity. Yeah. That's so much. Daily Double number one is in describing the artwork. It's at the $800 level. It's pick 21. And Stuart finds it. He's tied with Fred at 3,000, with Emily at 2,000. He makes it a true Daily Double, and he gets the hint. We're not sure if you'd call that teal or azure the young man with a feathered cap is wearing in this 1770 work. And he gets it correct. It is the blue boy. Gainsborough's blue boy, Ken tells us. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Stuart's still in the lead with 6,200, but Fred has almost caught up to him at 6,000. Emily's at 3,800. And the double Jeopardy categories are the Ottoman Empire, whose line is it anyway, city museums, say cheese, life science, and from the Italian. The transition from the Ottoman Empire in the Jeopardy round, which was about car business people, mm. uh, to the Ottoman Empire, which was about the Ottoman Empire. Right. That was fun. <laughs> the, the actual one, yeah. Yeah. Oh, speaking of the Ottoman Empire, the $2,000 level with a name meaning new troops, these elite infantry soldiers originally consisted of slaves and prisoners of war. And we got it, that's Janissary. There are still, I guess, technically Janissaries in Turkey, although usually that term is now applied to like a traditional Turkish military band, hmm. like you using traditional instruments and like playing music from the, the the kind of things that the Janissary band would play a thousand years ago when the Ottoman Empire would, you know, when their troops would be marching to war or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so if you Google Janissary now, other than like the definition of the old term, you'll, you'll find videos of Turkish Janissary bands. Huh. I had no idea. How, how'd you feel about cheese? I feel great about cheese. I know you do. That's why I asked. Yeah, I knew most of these. I didn't think of the right Swiss cheese at the $2,000 level. This Swiss cheese that dates back to the 12th century is named for a valley in the canton of Freiburg. Stuart tried what is Jarlsberg, which is what I also thought of. And then nobody tried for the rebound. I was trying to remember the Emmenthaler or whatever you call that one. Um, mm. But Gruyere, which I should have thought of that. Mm. I have high cheese standards for myself. <laughs> that's that's fair. I need to spend time. I need to spend more time with cheese. I think yeah. is a commitment that I can make mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. be able to follow through with. Lots of yeah. commitments I can make that I don't know that I'll follow through with, but I can spend more time with cheese. Yeah, working on your night cheese. Working on my night cheese. <laughs> yeah, because I really don't know. Like, I can see them at the store and be like, ah, that's the one I should get but I don't know anything about them, like where they come from or mm -hmm. how they're made or anything. So yeah, that'll be my new year's resolution. More cheese. cheese. Great one. Love yeah. it. Also along with that, probably more fiber would be my other one. That would be <laughs> a good pairing. Yeah. That seems smart. Daily double number two is in whose line is it anyway? At the $1,600 level, pick number 16, Fred uncovers it. He's at 13200 Emily's at 6200 Stuart's at 8600 He bets 5000 wants to really extend that lead. Gets a clue, a boy's best friend is his mother. And he gets it correct with who is Anthony Perkins, who I can never remember. I can never remember him either. I was like, Norman Bates is not the actor's name. Yep. 
And daily double number three is pick number 23 at the $1,600 level of say cheese. The cheese daily double. Stuart finds this one. He's at 10,200 with Fred up at 21,000 and Emily at 8,600. Stuart makes it a true daily double. A risky move, but I like it. And he gets the clue. Danbo, a cheese originally from this country, is also known as King Christian IX when made with caraway seeds. And he figures it out. It is Denmark. I'm just imagining pick, taking picking up a piece of cheese and being like, ah, this is King Christian the Ninth, <laughs> yeah. shoving it in my mouth. All right. At the end of the double Jeopardy round, uh, Emily is at 11,000. Stuart is at 20,400. And Fred is at 23,000. These are high scores. <laughs> the final Jeopardy category is iconic brands. And the clue is in 1916, it began packaging its flagship product in a variety of glass called Georgia Green. And they all got it, of course. That is Coca-Cola. Emily wagered 43.47. Not sure why. Stuart bet everything. And Fred made a cover bet. So it's a good thing he did, because by one dollar, mm-hmm. Fred maintains his lead. By one dollar, yes. Yeah. So that brings us to Tuesday. The contestants are Emily White. Lots of Emilys this week. Marketing, mm-hmm. well two i don't know if there's a third one anywhere later uh you know but there could have been more yeah i wish did i tell you i finally heard a reasonable explanation for why they're doing these particular seasons and not ours and it's that the jeopardy experience during covid Hmm. was so different okay and so like that's kind of the rationale for why these seasons it's people who couldn't bring loved ones, Didn't you know, like, members, yeah. like get a proper picture with the host, like that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. It feels a little post facto to me, but like, fair enough. I do. I sure. do acknowledge that the COVID era contestants got a very different experience than we got. Right. Although you and I both left our loved ones home with very young children. So, right. <laughs> so that was, that was a little different for us but okay anyway emily white a marketing manager from wilmington delaware brandon deutsch a law student from long beach california and nick cascone an orthopedic physician assistant originally from queens new york and the jeopardy round categories are ancient times can palm door winners insects also a beverage a world of crafts no war and talk cleanly to me brandon was there in a black turtleneck looking very mm-hmm. you know sort of hipster and then knew all of the can palm door winners I, I had that exact thought i was like he absolutely would yeah it is our practice not to do a whole lot of commentary on people's personal appearance on the on this podcast but i, I don't feel like that's a personal appearance commentary so much as a like oh like, he yeah he absolutely fit the expectation with his outfit and then he ran the or the can category yeah and i was like yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. the triple stumper at the thousand dollar level of also a beverage the dictionary says it's a person regarded as being assured and artfully ingratiating in manner nobody tried it it's a smoothie and i've got to say like i acknowledge that you drink a smoothie but is it a beverage but is it a beverage like smoothies and milkshakes both of those i'm not sure i would consider it a beverage like you do drink them but But neither would occur to me as something to respond for a beverage category right and if i'm like i don't know i i I guess this is getting really into the weeds of like what what does the word actually mean but like 
for a beverage, I'm thinking, would I be less thirsty after drinking it? Right. And for a lot of smoothies, the answer is no. Yeah. So I, yeah, it wouldn't be something that I'm like, oh, I need a drink. Let me just snag a smoothie. Yeah. So I agree with you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. The $800 level of World of Crafts, I'm glad I wasn't on stage for. The clue is from the French for to cut out. It's the craft of decorating a surface with paper shapes. Nick guessed what is collage. That's not it. It is decoupage. Mm-hmm. And my brain, because I am a child, can never keep track between decoupage and decolletage. And so, so, like, that's the word that popped into my head. And then Ken said it was decoupage. And I was like, ooh, ooh I would have ooh, lost yeah. money and dignity. That's very funny. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Because French doesn't make any sense. I'm going to blame it on the French language, not on Yes, me. there we go. Not on me being a doofus. Daily Double number one is in Talk Cleanly to Me. Uh, it's at the $600 level. Pick number 13. Nick finds it. He's at 2600 Brandon's at 3200 Emily's still at zero. He bets it all. Gets a clue from the Latin for clean. It's a six-letter adjective for virgin. Hey, still not touched for the very first time. And I tell you what, that Madonna reference made me think, it would be similar to the word Madonna. It really mm-hmm. threw me off. They were going for chaste. Nick wasn't able to come up with it. I don't know why that was included other than just to make a joke. Yeah, it's not really very helpful. I mean, yeah. yeah I, it's kind I, of a misdirect. Yeah, it really, really threw me off. Anyway, he misses it and drops mm-hmm. his zero again. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Nick is... Back up to 3,200. Brandon's at 5,800 and Emily's at 2,200. The Double Jeopardy categories are 90s music, Quick Cities, Baby Books, Carl Sagan, Billions and Billions, and Of Stars, with S-T-A-R in quotation marks. The $800 level of Baby Books, Please Baby Please, is a kid's book from this director of She's Gotta Have It. Brandon got that. That's Brandon, once again, gets a film clue, correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, I assume he got it from the film title, not from the baby book. Spike Lee wrote please baby please which is an excellent baby book is it yes i don't think i have, it's, i don't think i know it it's good it's rhyming it's fun the pictures are cute yeah I, i'm a fan of that one i don't really have babies anymore but we can still check it out yeah i guess if there are listeners who are shopping for babies their own or someone else's that's that's my book recommendation for this episode okay yeah the $800 of 90s music was a triple stumper. This country's superstars, Friends in Low Places, was named CMA Single of the Year in 1991. Nobody went for it. That was Garth Brooks, and Ken made a good joke about being Chris Gaines' alter ego, Garth mm-hmm. Brooks. What a uh, weird thing. Alter egos of celebrity. I don't know. It just It's very... It's weird to me to, like, put on that mask and be like, now I'm somebody else. Yeah, you know? no, that like, is weird. <laughs> like... Cool, man. You do you, but mm-hmm. I feel very strange. Yeah. We got a, a gloss from Ken at the $1,600 level of 90s music. Also in 1998, these gals had back-to-back number one hits with There's Your Trouble and Wide Open Spaces. They had a picture of them looking very 1998. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> and Nick got it responding, who are the Dixie Chicks? They now just go by the Chicks. 
Ken reminded us of that, I think they would have taken either. Yeah, because yeah. in the 90s, they were. They were the Dixie Chicks, yeah. Jokes. Daily Double number two is at the $1,600 level of Quick Cities. They find it at the second pick. Emily uncovers it. She's at... 2200 with Nick at 3200 and Brandon at 5800. She's coming from third place, so she makes it a true daily double trying to get up into the mix and gets the clue nicknamed Hollywood North. It's about 1100 miles north of the real thing. She hesitates for a long time and then guesses what is Seattle, but it's Vancouver. Yeah, got the distance mostly right, mm-hmm. but just the wrong city. Yeah. Daily Double number three is in Carl Sagan at the $2,000 level. Nick finds it at pick number 22. He's at 9,600. Brandon is at 11,800. And Emily is at 6,800. And he bets 5,000. Gets the clue. Sagan co-authored a 1983 scientific paper that predicted that this climate condition would follow atomic war. And he gets it correct with what is nuclear winter. Video game topic. I just finished playing Fallout 4 for the first time. It came out like, I don't know, 10. 12 years ago it was good it was just really big but it's set in massachusetts like post-apocalyptic post-nuclear war massachusetts but it was cool to see all the boston stuff yeah cool anyway yeah so at the end of the double jeopardy round nick is in the lead with eighteen thousand two hundred. brandon is at twelve thousand two hundred. emily's at 5600 and the final jeopardy category is historic objects with the clue the inscription on this made in 1753 concludes unto all the inhabitants thereof emily responded what is the liberty bell that is correct she wagered everything that brings her up to eleven thousand two hundred. brandon couldn't come up with it he just wrote what is thank you with a 199 dollar wager he drops down to twelve thousand and one. nick got it correct as well with what is the liberty bell and love you guys and a 6201 cover bet that puts him up at 24,401 and sends him to the semifinals. So we're on to Wednesday when we have the contestants Henry Rizicki, a neonatologist and author from Richmond, Virginia, Kit Sikelski, a freelance graphic designer from Kent, Ohio, and Woo. Leah Caglio, a librarian originally from Phoenix, Arizona. Were you cheering Kent or were you cheering, cheering Kit? Kit. I'm not sure why. I have you know, especially connected with Kit. Um, you know what? My sister subscribes to Kit's trivia endeavor, the paper, mailed paper trivia thing called the Inkling. Yes. You know what? I've got I've got an Inkling trivia calendar from last year. I forgot to change the last few pages. It's just <laughs> over off to my left. It is 11 months out of date. Whoops. Sorry. Yeah. That happens. That's funny. <laughs> we have the Jeopardy round categories, postcards from the edge. Sports. Gobs of gods, let's take a bath, finish the terrible rhyme, and incognito. Correct responses made from the letters in the word cognito. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the $1,000 level, there was a picture of a big, big cat, and the clue, this hybrid offspring of two big cats. Henry tried what is a liger, but there's no R incognito, so it is a tigon. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the difference is between a liger and a tigon. Maybe it's, you know, like whether the tiger is the, the mother or the father. I don't I know. Guess. Who knows? I, no I guess. I, I am guessing. I I think it's all fake. I think it's made up anyway. <laughs> like the platypus. Statistic. Exactly. Or. Did you know or that people it's... thought the platypus was fake? 
when the first like taxidermied platypus came back from Australia. They were like, you oh, sewed that together. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because it's absurd. <laughs> it it's is like, absurd. You obviously took a beaver and put it at a duck's face. Mm hmm. We see what you did. It's obvious. Don't don't try to mm-hmm. trick us. Mm-hmm. That finished the terrible rhyme. They were terrible rhymes. And you could tell because <clears throat> there was two triple suppers. I don't even want to try them. <laughs> just, yeah. They just were not good. Yeah, no, they weren't. $600 level prepared to meet thy God, O Israel, was not writ just to shame us. It is, however, right here now from the Bible's book blank. Henry tried what's Exodus, but Amos rhymes with Seamus. Shame us. Shame, yeah. yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah, and then the $800 level, Banyo and Nkambe, no not Bombay, for your honeymoon, consider, and nobody tried it, it's Cameroon. Because it changed up the, the rhyme. It changed, yeah, it was an A-A-B-B scheme. So, like, figuring that out, whether it's supposed to rhyme with A or Oon, I guess, is is confusing. They were not good rhymes, which I guess they did put at the top of the category. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you can only get so mad because they told you, but also maybe just don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to. Nobody made you. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I sort of like the $400 level of gobs of gods. Traditionally, the Roman god Janus is depicted with this many noses. Yeah, that's a clever way to put it. <laughs> that's, it is, right? Because Janus is the god like with the two faces looking forward and back. And you traditionally portray Janus from the side where you see one face looking one way and one face looking the other way. How do you get at like what's the characteristic thing about Janus? You know, and sometimes Jeopardy makes clues like that where you have to like respond with like a brief explanation, but they're always a little confusing and hard to rule on if somebody stumbles over their words a little bit or has a hard time figuring out what exactly they're supposed to say. So this many noses, I thought was a fun way of asking. I I appreciate that Pele was so good at soccer that he became a goddess in Hawaii. (laughs) Yes. That's how that worked, right? I believe so. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There was a Robin Williams joke in the sports category, and then we have a Robin Williams category tomorrow. That's true. Too much Robin Williams. I mean, you know, I love the guy, but (laughs) it seems uncharacteristic. Anyway, Daily Double number one is in Postcards from the Edge. It's at the $800 level. It's pick number 10, and Henry finds it. He is in the red. He's at negative 400. Leah's at 3,000. Kit's at 200. He wagers 1,000. Trying to get back in black, and he we, he gets the clue. Wish you weren't here. Our raft is nearing the drop of this tallest Venezuelan cataract. See you next fall. And he remembers it. It is Angel Falls. Yep. Not Paradise Falls. That one's fictional. That is still fictional. <laughs> it's good. I, I keep having to sort it out again and again inside my brain. Mm-hmm. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Leah's at 7,000, Kit's at 4,200, Henry's at 800. And the double Jeopardy categories are scientists as parents, stage names the same. They will need the last name that both people use, Canadian artistes, Brideshead Revisited, Saints Go Marching In, and What's the Plan? Plan is in quotation marks. Nobody listened to my deep dive. 
the $1,600 level of saints go marching in, born at Lourdes in 1844. She was canonized in 1933. Kit rang in and then couldn't think of her name. That is Bernadette. I had that thought. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was completely hopeless at this stage names category. The contestants did okay. They got four out of five, but some of them I might have been able to work out eventually, but I just couldn't think of the stage names fast enough. Yeah, I also had a had a tough time when they, you know, when they said it. I was like, oh yeah, yep, I remember that now. Yeah, but it was it, there was no way I was going to be able to work my way around. Yeah, they didn't give a ton of information about any of these celebrities the two thousand dollar level screen legend lucille lasseur and broadway legend michael dumbbell smith no henry tried what is ball turned into a triple stumper crawford you know we're not getting a film title you know or in anything yeah. some of the some of the lower value clues we did get a little bit more information about the people but not a lot you just needed to know the real and stage names of people for the most part Brideshead Revisited was all about brides' heads. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can come up with some questions about it. Uh, I did think it weird that the $2,000 level was a ballerina might wear a veil made of this tutu fabric that also starts with the letters T-U. Like, that's not a $2,000 clue to me. Not at all. The 1600 was a triple stumper. And I've never, I'm also not a bride, so I don't, I'm not as versed in it, but I've never heard of Matias. Oh, I knew that one. But I definitely knew Tool, especially when you give me the first two letters of it. Yeah. Also, anyone might wear a veil made of Tool. That's True. a very common thing to make a veil out of. But, you know, I see that it's giving, you know, an extra hint. But like at the $2,000 level. Yeah, I thought that was not. Do we? Yeah. Do we place. need that? Daily Double number two is in Brideshead Revisited up at the $1,200 level. It's uh, pick number 23. Henry finds it. He's at 2800 Lee's at 15400 and Kid is at 10200 And he bets it all because he's like way behind. Gets a clue. In contrast to chapel length, a veil of this church length sounds perfect for a wedding at St. Paul's. And he gets correct with what is cathedral. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is the very last pick of the round. We had sort of a funny last few clues as they called for different dollar levels waiting to see if it would be found henry got clue number 29 responding john the baptist and then you know called for the last clue which is the daily double the 1200 dollar of saints go marching in at this point he was at 8400 with leah at 15400 and kit at 10600 and henry decides to go for it he doesn't wager everything because if he misses he won't get to participate in final jeopardy he wagers all but 100 8300 and he gets the clue in 1979 john paul ii made this animal loving saint the patron saint of ecology and he knows it it is saint francis of assisi yeah so very quickly the dynamic changes cuz Going into final Jeopardy now, Henry's in the lead at sixteen thousand seven hundred. Lee is at fifteen thousand four hundred, and Kit is at ten thousand six hundred. Final Jeopardy category is Washington D.C., and the clue is: It was proposed in Congress in nineteen twenty-six in honor of a big one hundred fiftieth anniversary. It opened seventeen years later. This is a triple stumper. Kit put what is the Lincoln Memorial? A little bit off with the the timing there. Wagered five thousand. Drops to fifty six hundred. 
Leah put what is the Washington Monument, which I think is like an okay guess, but that was an, uh, a 19th century pro- project, and she bet it all. So she drops to zero. And Henry put what is Constitution Hall, but Constitution was in 1789, not 1776. Mm-hmm. Um, this, and, and he also bet it all. So he also drops to zero, which means that Kit, who didn't bet at all, mm-hmm. <laughs> ends up winning and moving on. Uh, this is Jefferson Memorial honoring the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in second place here, you want to keep your wager smaller. Small. Yeah. Yes. Leah, Leah went all in, but I think in her position, I would have looked at what would happen if Kit doubles up and not go bigger than that. That yeah. would put you at 80 something, <laughs> 70 something. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, Kit advances. So that's, I'm excited because, you know, I was kind of <laughs> rooting for her. And Thursday, the contestants are Scott Plummer, a software developer from Golden, Colorado, Tim Moon, an attorney from Los Angeles, California, and Amy Beckerman, a copy editor from Durham, New Hampshire. With the Jeopardy round categories up above pop music, What the Dickens, Jailhouse Rock, Dad Gummit, and We'll Spot You a Letter. Yep. They just give you a letter. Mm-hmm. And then ask a, ask a question. The Dickens category, of course, been helpful if they'd listened to your Dickens deep dive. Indeed. You're very, you're rather in-depth Dickens <laughs> deep dive. I'm not sure I covered every single thing that was here. And obviously the the $200 level Charles Dickens called this decorated Yuletide item a pretty German toy i did not cover everything charles dickens said and that one turned out to be a triple stumper amy tried what is a christmas carol great guess for a 200 dollar level charles dickens clue that's not correct scott tried what is a nutcracker also incorrect a christmas tree but a toy a christmas tree is not a toy right like language changes yeah yeah yeah, I'm not sure I covered. We won't. We're not to it yet. But I'm not sure I covered the character names that were in the $600 level, which was a daily double. Yeah, sure. There are a ton of characters in Charles Dickens. Too many. Yes, he, too many. He loves characters. Yes, he does. Jailhouse Rock was about like jails on islands, rocky islands, not about rock music. I was like, ah, oh, Johnny Cash is going to be there in there. Nope, nope. It was not. It's got like Alcatraz. Yeah. And Robin Island. I was supposed to go to Robin Island, but I didn't get to because I got mugged on the way and had to <laughs> miss my ferry. <laughs> had to go to the police. Yeah. Yeah. They were not That's... helpful. They were like, why were you there? <laughs> what were you wearing? Were you yeah. asking for it? <laughs> That's a bummer. Robin Island. Yeah. Island was pretty cool. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Millennial shame. Nobody knew the $400 level in 2021. She became the youngest artist to debut at number one on the Hot 100 with her song Driver's License. That's Olivia Rodrigo. Nobody tried it. Wait, are these contestants millennials? I Maybe they're not. I don't know. They just knew the, the millennial and Gen Z music, but right. not not Olivia Rodrigo. Or um, Nicki Minaj. Oh, and bless. Oh, Tim. Yes, this was the this was the millennial moment that I, that I really appreciated. The thousand dollar level Ice Spice and this singer whose fans are called Barb's are fittingly on the Barbie soundtrack with Barbie World. Tim responds, "Who is Aqua? Great 
Hall. Tim Aqua <laughs> was the originator of the song Barbie Girl in the yes. 1990s. Yes. Uh, but Nicki Minaj, Nicki Minaj was yes. the one for the Barbie soundtrack for the new movie. Right. Yeah. But I appreciate <laughs> you, Tim. Way to way to pull it. That'd have been pretty funny if they had got <laughs> Aqua to like come back for the soundtrack and mm-hmm. do a new song. Daily Double number one is in What the Dickens at the $600 level. It's the second pick of the round. So Amy gets it. She's at 400 and the other two are at zero and she wages 1,000. Gets a clue. This title character becomes a successful author and marries Dora Spenlow. And Amy gets it correct with who is David Copperfield. Yeah, I didn't remember the name Dora Spenlow. I might have mentioned it during my deep dive, but I, I, I can't remember whether I gave that particular character name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy's at 5,000, Tim's at 1,800, and Scott's at 3,200. Double Jeopardy categories are sculpture, Robin Williams movie quotes, the name of the law, that's misleading, bridge on the river, and Kawaii. Mm-hmm. Kawaii. Robin Williams movie quotes. He was in a lot of stuff. I mean... He, he really was. Yeah. He had range. He sure. did. Yeah. I loved Mrs. Doubtfire. It's at the $800 level. And like, have you mentally revisited Mrs. Doubtfire at all? I have never seen Mrs. Doubtfire. (gasps) I've seen clips of it. Okay. I know what it's about, but I've never watched it. Yeah. There's a few different problematic things. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're, we're becoming more aware as a society of like, you know gender stuff transgender issues and like the a man is dressed as a woman like you know thing is like not automatically funny the way it was but the thing that has really hit me as an adult is like the whole premise is like his character is like a chaos dad totally irresponsible (laughs) not reliable in any way like you know fun crazy mom has to be like the disciplinarian mom has to have it all and like have all the logistics on lock because the dad is like you know an explosion of chaos right Mm -hmm. and like they get a divorce and he he's a chaos goblin so like she has custody and to see his children he like creates this character and poses as this british nanny and is like keeping them on schedule and getting them to bed on time and serving them, you know, beautiful, Mm -hmm. nutritious meals. And like, he could do it all the time. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And I'm like, I no longer see this person as the hero that he was when I was a kid watching this movie. Like, oh, that shrew of a mom isn't letting their kids be with the fun dad. I'm like, he knew how to do that. And he just hadn't created a character where it was their thing. Like, what the heck? Yeah. It, it, uh, yes yeah so anyway i need to i need to rewatch it and see if my critique holds up or if it's just my memory of it that's not what we're here to talk about though i did like the misleading category yeah it's just a fun way to like to to think of you know idioms or phrases right mm-hmm. yeah yeah twelve hundred dollar level hey yellow fruit leave just get on out of here you dig and amy got that that is banana split right <laughs> yeah fun wordplay but in a different kind of way yeah i i thought that was enjoyable dada is from the french for hobby horse that was totally new to me i did not realize that or if i'd ever heard it i completely forgotten 
I think that I had assumed I, Dada was like a nonsense word because like Dada is kind of nonsensical. And this movement, which is French for hobby horse sculptures, are made of such items as machine parts. Yeah, I remember learning that Dada was a nonsense word, or or like meant nonsense, right? Like it, it is a word to represent nonsense, and yeah. I didn't think it came from French. But I guess, I guess, wouldn't it be a Dada thing to have its name? be a mystery right as to what it where it comes from and what it means daily double number two is in robin williams movie quotes it's at the 1200 dollars level scott finds it at pick number 14 he's at 4400 with amy at 8200 and tim at 3400 he makes it a true daily double and he gets the clue look at me son it's not your fault this is it's an Oscar winning role for Robin Williams, but it's not really what you think of when you think of Robin Williams as like, you know, a, like his persona, right? This mm -hmm. was like his serious acting. He doesn't mm -hmm. come up with a guess. Goodwill Hunting is what that's from. And Daily Double number three is in that Smith's leading at the $2,000 level. Pick number 26, Scott gets it. He's at 3,600. Amy is at 12,600. And Tim is at 3,000. He bets it all. Gets the clue, paintings seen along the sloping path for wheelchairs. And he guesses what is some, something ramp. They're looking for ramp art. Yeah, tricky. I think especially because you need to flip the word order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Amy's in a lock position with 12,200. Low scoring game here. Tim's at 3,800, Scott is at 2,800, and the final Jeopardy category is Poets. Your favorite, Kyle. Yay. <laughs> yeah. With the clue, 1793 reports of the killing of Hector Monroe by a wild animal in India may have inspired one of this man's best-known poems. Scott got it correct with who is Blake, the, the poem The Tiger, 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 Burning Bright, and he's wagered all but a dollar. 2,799 puts him up to 55.99. Tim tried who is Kipling. That's the neg bait here. Yep. You hear poet and India, you know, English, English poet. <laughs> I guess it doesn't say English poet. It just says poet. But you hear India and, you know, Kipling is one of the literary names that comes to mind. But the era is not quite right for Kipling. Tim wagered everything, so he drops to zero. Amy also thought of Kipling, but she was in a locked position and she didn't wager anything. So she stays at 12,200 and advances to the semifinals. So that brings us to our Friday game, where we have the contestants Carrie Cadwallader, a business intelligence manager from Aurora, Colorado. That's me here. David Ferrara, a realtor from Los Angeles, California, and Danielle Maurer, a digital marketing manager from Peachtree Corners, Georgia. Little trivia fact about Aurora, I don't know if, if this has been mentioned, but it is the second most populous city in America to start and end with the same letter. I believe. Very interesting. After, after after Atlanta. I was I was gonna ask because I couldn't think what the other one was, but obviously Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, I, I believe I believe that is accurate. Anyway, the Jeopardy round categories are Curls Gone Wild, Springsteen <laughs> lyrics, pithy quotes, bones, sounds like a language, and more tricky questions. Which were just kind of trick questions. Yep. 
I like a trick question. I did well on those because I have a fifth grader. Right. <laughs> yeah. You have <laughs> you have a kid and they just love those trick questions. Yep. <laughs> a family lives in a round room. Somebody gets murdered. Right. Mom says she was cooking. Dad says he was sitting in the corner. Which one did the murder? Wow. Let's let's start, let's let's dive into that. Why is dad murdering people? You know, like when the family lives in a room, one room, around no walls room with no quarters. Like you with no corners, nowhere to hide. You think you'd think I mean, really, that's commentary on dad mostly. Yeah. Mhm. The $200 level just before Mount Everest was discovered. This was the highest mountain in the world. I'm pretty sure that a fifth grader has asked me that one. Mm-hmm. Danielle forgot the gimmick and tried what's K- yep, what's K2. Uh, but got Carrie it. got it. It was Mount Everest. It was the tallest even before it was discovered. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. actually, you know, we don't know that. There's a real Schrodinger's cat kind of situation. Yeah. I would say. we don't. We don't know. Because if would... we hadn't discovered it, maybe it hadn't gotten there yet. Oh, I thought you were saying maybe there's a taller one that we just haven't noticed yet somehow. <laughs> it's like I'm I mean, pretty, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we've we've kind of covered things at this point. I, you know, I guess I could that could be true also, but no, just more more of the how do you know it was the tallest at that point? Maybe yeah. it was still growing. <laughs> That's how that works. I actually don't know how mountains form, actually. But I don't, I don't uh, think I live at a... the Rockies, so I'm going to be the authority on mountains here. Okay, cool, cool. And I will have no follow-up questions. Thank you. Mm-hmm. There is never the $800 level of pithy quotes. You cannot be too enthusiastic when you give the French title of Zola's 1898 letter to President Foray. There, Jacques, there is, there is no way to do it wrong except not doing it enough. You know what I mean? Like, you cannot give too much energy to Jacques. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And few things are that way. Few things in, in our world are, like, cannot be overdone. Yeah. I'm with you, though. It's always funny. Mm-hmm. No matter the situation. If you use mm-hmm. it, it's always funny. Indeed. And the $800 clue of Sounds Like a Language, I have... I've had this exact problem in my head. Uh, one letter off from a language of the Philippines is a Girl Scout cookie or one following the lead of another. And the Girl Scout cookie or the follower is a Tagalog, which always makes me want to pronounce the language Tagalog. Yep. Instead of Tagalog. Or Tagalog, right? Is how it's pronounced? Yes. Yeah, Tagalog. Uh, yeah. But yes, I have, the, I have the same exact problem. I also somehow didn't parse the clue and was like girl scout cookie south pacific samoas nailed it (laughs) (laughs) wait are the philippines in the south pacific i'm so bad at geography i kind of uh, okay they're close i mean is japan in the south pacific because they're closer to japan really right i mean i don't know you're you're the one who knows geography here philippines i think are north of taiwan yeah I think. Yeah, that's now not that's sure. not South Pacific. No, they're south of Taiwan. They're down by Indonesia. Oh yeah. Well, okay, maybe. Uh, yeah. Okay. I my, I'm gonna call it close enough. Close enough. My close island enough. geography is not nearly as good as my continental geography. Yeah. Well. 
It's because I, I think islands move. I, you know, I, I realize people will argue with me about this, but I'm pretty sure islands move around all the time. Yeah, they're they're never in the same place. Yeah, twice. they do seem to they do seem to move. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. My geography is significantly worse than yours, uh, but better than better than my spouse's, with whom I like to play a game called "Is It an Island?" <laughs> where I name uh. a country, and he tells me whether to, tries to tries to to correctly guess whether it is an island or not an island. <laughs> That's right, kids. That's what you have to look forward to in marriage. <laughs> this kind of overwhelming joy. Daily Double number one is in pithy quotes. It's at the $1,000 level. It's pick number 19, and David finds it. He's at 3200 with Daniel at 2000 and Carrie at 4400 He tries to take the lead with a $2,400 wager, and he gets the clue. The King James Bible's shortest verse, Jesus wept, refers to the death of this man. David can't figure it out. He says, who is Paul? That timeline doesn't work, Paul. His life, I think, overlapped with Jesus's, but, but he was spreading the message after Jesus's death. So that, that doesn't work. Lazarus is who we were looking for here. Right. Yeah. John the Baptist is kind of, if you were going to get it wrong, John the Baptist is the kind of most, <laughs> most logical wrong guess. Ken, Ken says, spoiler, he comes back. back. I'm not sure you can give spoilers on the Bible he at this point. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Danielle's at 2,400, David's at 800, and Carrie is at 10,200. And the double Jeopardy categories are Name the James, Broadway musical settings, Life of Pi, palindromic, palindromic years, musical instruments, and heteronyms. The thing with palindromic years is that, assuming it's a four-digit year, you only need to be really confident that you've got the century right. Yeah, which I think makes it possible. Yeah. Right, because something like the $1,600 level, though having financial problems and shunned, Rembrandt still receives several important commissions. Like, that's a pretty vague thing, and I, I would imagine could be pinned to a number of different years in mm -hmm. his life. Yeah. But only one of them fits the category. Right. The other ones are a lot more specific. Right? Yeah. Soviet Union dissolves. Like, yeah, that's 1991. Mm -hmm. I I just missed the word Trent at the $2,000 level. The doctrine of transubstantiation is reaffirmed by the Council of Trent. And I was like, oh, no. Like, they've, you know, for the $2,000 level, like, they have gone with a three-digit year. <laughs> yeah. There, <laughs> like, that could be any of years. There are so many of those. There's so many. <laughs> as you covered in your ecumenical councils. Yes, I did. Uh, deep dive. <laughs> Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, the Council of Trent is that it's that's that's like the Counter Reformation. So 1551, mm -hmm. they weren't trying to like make sure that you knew your fourth century Christian councils with great specificity. Any thoughts about musical instruments? I mean, I appreciate musical instruments. Oh, you mean the yeah. category? Yes. I kind of take issue with the four hundred dollar clue. It's the second largest member of the violin family. Mm. I mean, I guess like. At this point, yes. Uh, historically, though, I'm I, I'm I'm not certain about this, so maybe I'm wrong. But when people were inventing instruments, they made a whole bunch of different sizes and named them a whole bunch of different things. So at this point, yeah, it is the second largest member of the violin family. 
but to further that, if the suggestion is then, well, then the bass is the largest member of the violin family, that's false. The bass is a member of the viol family, which is why its strings mm. are reversed in comparison. Oh, okay. And why its shoulders are more sloped and has a narrower shape rather than the more like flat shoulders of the violin family. Mm -hmm. But I digress from anything that anybody actually cares about. <laughs> the rest of it was, you know, good. Like, it was, it was fine. I thought it was pretty gettable, except the $2,000 level. Sir Charles Wheatstone patented this instrument that was largely replaced by the accordion. Carrie guessed what's a squeeze box, what's a hand squeeze box. Uh, gross. David guessed what's a calliope. <laughs> those are those are all fine. Uh, it's a concertina. Danielle actually got it, which is pretty good. That is that is an obscure one, I think, unless you have, like, personal interaction with the concertina. Yeah. But it, it's like an accordion. It's a a squeeze box. It's a keyboard where you push air through it and mm -hmm. goes over reeds. There are lots of different ones. Bendonians, you know, various. There, there are lots of different squeeze box instruments. Mm -hmm. I came up with squeeze box, but couldn't get any further than that. Daily Double number two is in Broadway musical settings at the $1,200 level. Pick number three in the round. Danielle finds it. She's at 3200 David's at 800 Carrie's up to 9800 She bets it all. Gets a clue. This musical opens with Anna's arrival in Bangkok. And she gets to correct with what is the king and I. Makes mm -hmm. sense. Pretty clear. Yep. And Daily Double number three is in Life of Pi. It's at the $800 level. Pick number 17. And Carrie finds this one. So one for each contestant. Carrie's at 12200 with Danielle at 9600 and David at 3600 she wagers 5,000 and she gets the clue. First Kings 723 implies that pi equals three, describing a round object 10 of these ancient units wide and 30 in circumference. And she gets it correct. That is a cubit. Yes. Yeah. Which I don't know the, the dates historically, but I would i i'm assuming that kings was probably written before like the ancient greek mathematicians ooh good would have been west although the ancient greeks just worked on ratios and uh like comparisons so they wouldn't have necessarily had a decimal for pi anyway yeah yeah anyway i don't know it's just a curiosity yeah so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Danielle is at 16,000, David is at 6,000, and Carrie is at 21,200. So David isn't necessarily out of it. The final Jeopardy category is literary characters, and the clue is in his first appearance in 1902, he was described as betwixt and between a boy and a bird. <laughs> David did not have an off guess just who was, and he bet it all which is fine, given the, the scores. So he drops to zero. Danielle got it correct with who is Peter Pan, which is, I, I guess, a strange way to describe it, because it's like, he's clearly a boy. He just is in the air. Right. Like, presumably he doesn't, like, sprout feathers and, and talons and stuff, but I don't know. I uh, Maybe, maybe. But she also bet it all, which was too much, and she goes up to 32,000. Because if she got it wrong, she'd be tied with David at zero. Carrie, however, got it incorrect with who is Batman? <laughs> I love that guess. Um, great guess. Bit bit early for Batman by 
I gotta think like 30 years. Yeah. Ish, at least. And she wagered 10,801, which is a cover bet. So she drops down to second place, and Danielle gets the semifinalist spot. So that brings us to the end of the week. And this is the point where we remind you we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And I'm going to open it up right now as I say that, so that I remember to put the quiz questions up. <laughs> I'm clicking the button, so it will be open in a tab before I leave. So if you subscribe this week, you'll get to see my quiz questions before the episode is published. I'm making a clear promise right now that it's going to be even more heartbreaking when I break it. But you can also find old quiz questions there if you want to go back. If you're looking for trivia fodder, if you're, you know, look, just looking for some questions to go through, we got a bunch up there. We also have some exclusive content that every passing week gets older and older, but it's still quality. So <laughs> it is. It's pretty good. Yeah, we're, we're, we're proud of it. We, we put it up for a reason. So uh, you can check it out at patreon.com slash potent potables. Also, it helps us run the podcast, which is really why we do it. But uh, yeah, yeah. And we thank you for everyone who does support us financially. Uh, it is extremely helpful, like very, very helpful. But of course, there are other things going on in our world. And we encourage you to check out our show notes because we have some causes that we believe are more important uh, listed there. All right, Emily. I found that there were not so many viable options this week. Yes, I am having a hard time coming up with very many guesses. I'm still going through. But let me give you guess number one, which is the Jefferson Memorial. And that's what it is. Yay, I don't have to come up with a second guess. Good. Yeah, there there really like there was there were plenty of triple stumpers this week. Other weeks there had been a lot more. But a lot of the topics were like, I don't know that I can really talk about that. Yeah. But this one, it was a final Jeopardy. That was a triple stumper. I felt felt right. So I'm going to talk about the Jefferson Memorial. I'm also going to talk a little bit about the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Memorial. Now, obviously, there's a lot more in Washington, D.C. I didn't want to try to do every memorial in Washington, D.C. or something like that. I figured I'd hit those big three. Yeah. And talk a little bit about them, give a little bit of information, some context so that you can kind of, you know, be a little bit more aware of them and maybe answer some questions about them. So that's what we're going to do. Awesome. All right. So the uh, Jefferson Memorial was built between 1939 and 1943 in honor of Thomas Jefferson. And as the clue states, particularly to recognize not only him as like president, but also author of the Declaration of Independence and a central intellectual force behind the American Revolution. Of course, if you're a Jeopardy, you know, trivia person. I'm sure you know that he also founded the Democratic Republican Party, and he was, of course, the third president of the United States. The memorial has multiple quotes from Jefferson, like etched into the walls, intended to capture his ideology and philosophy, known as Jeffersonian democracy, which was staunchly supportive of American republicanism, individual rights, religious freedoms, states' rights, virtue, and prioritize the value of what he saw as the undervalued independent yeoman. He, of course, had the agrarian view of America's future, as opposed to, I guess, the federalists who kind of embodied the more urban view of America's mm-hmm. future. Uh, but we're not really talking about Jefferson, because in many ways he kind of sucked. So we're talking about the memorial, which exists. It is a discrete object with no particular morality in and of itself. The site selected for Jefferson's memorial was appealing partly because 
Uh, it's located directly south of and in view of the White House. So there was a group called the Macmillan Commission, and they produced the Macmillan Plan, which by 1901 had proposed a pantheon-like structure on the site that would host the statues of the illustrious men of the nation, or whether the memory of some individual shall be honored by a monument of the first rank may be left to the future. However, Congress did not move forward on the commission's recommendation. So that part of DC is known as like the Tidal Basin Inlet Bridge, or the Tidal Basin Inlet. And the bridge that was finished in 1908 helped facilitate and expand recreational use of both the East and West Potomac parks. And in 1918, a large liquid chlorine dispenser was installed under the bridge to treat the water, which made the Tidal Basin suitable for swimming. A little bit about the Tidal Basin. Opened in May 1918, operating as a whites-only facility until 1925, when it was permanently closed to avoid addressing the question of whether or not it should be integrated. Mm -hmm. So rather than say, we should integrate it, they're like, oh, no, we just won't do that. Mm -hmm. Great. So the same year, a design competition was held for a memorial to Theodore Roosevelt, in which John Russell Pope won after submitting a, a proposal that consisted of a half-circle memorial situated next to the circular basin. Uh, however, like the McMillan plan, Congress never funded it. In 1926, like the clue says, it was moved forward, but it wasn't until 1934 under Franklin Roosevelt that the Commission of Fine Arts was kind of pushed forward to creating this memorial. Roosevelt included plans that the Jefferson Memorial be part of the Federal Triangle, which was then under construction, and he got some following in Congress to kind of move it forward. So they eventually appropriated $3 million for the Jefferson Memorial. They had John Russell Pope, the American architect, be the architect for it. He'd previously served as architect for the National Archives building and the original West building of the National Gallery of Art. He offered four different plans, each on a different site. One was on the Anacostia River. One was at Lincoln Park. One was on the south side of the National Mall across from the National Archives administration building. And the last one was on the Tidal Basin directly south of the White House, which is where it was chosen. It has a large Pantheon-like structure on a square platform, and originally it was going to be flanked by two smaller rectangular colonnaded buildings, but that did not um, come to pass. The cornerstone was laid by Roosevelt himself, which I'm trying to picture. That must have been really difficult for him Yeah, uh, in 1939. Pope had died in 1937, so his surviving partners assumed leadership, and they continued with the construction. There was some opposition to it. The Commission of Fine Arts never actually approved any design for the memorial, and hmm. the commission even published a pamphlet in 1939 opposing both the proposed design and the site. Some Washingtonians also opposed the proposed location because it did not align with L'Enfant's original plan for the city, which, talk about, you know, originalists or whatever. Like, no, you can't build anything that doesn't fit with the grid that a guy 150 years ago laid out like okay all right whatever uh a lot of people also opposed it because it proposed removing a lot of established elm and cherry trees um mm -hmm. that the, the cherry trees of course having been donated from japan uh a revised plan was made to uh maintain most of the surrounding cherry trees and it was more acceptable then they got the sculptor Rudolph Evans to uh, sculpt the actual sculpture of Jefferson that's in, in the middle. And Frederick Law Olmsted Jr., the landscape architect, was the one who designed the memorial landscape. 
It was officially dedicated and opened on April 13th, 1943, the 200th anniversary of Jefferson's birthday. Evans' statue had not been finished due to material shortages during World War II, and instead it had a temporary plaster cast uh, erected until the statue could be completed in 1947. It is on the National Register of Historic Places, of course. Um, so that's kind of the the history of it. I'm not going to get too much into the in, like the design of it because we've seen it, right? Yeah. It's a door. It's got a dome. There's a portico. There's marble steps. I believe they are ionic columns. If I yes, ionic order columns. If that matters. And the interior has a 19 foot tall bronze statue of Jefferson. Among many Jefferson quotes inside the memorial, one of the most prominently situated are those inscribed in the frieze below the dome. I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the mind of man. Cool. There there are a number of others. I don't need to necessarily go through all the quotes, but if there's a Jefferson quote and it's kind of important, it's probably in the memorial. More recently, especially since 2020, especially in response to the George Floyd protests, there was a District of Columbia Facilities and Commemorative Expressions Task Force formed by Mayor Muriel Bowser to publish a report recommending renaming, relocated, or adding context to dozens of monuments, schools, parks, and buildings in Washington, D.C. because of their namesake's participation in slavery or racial oppression. And they recommended that the memorial be either removed, relocated, or contextualized. Of course, because he was a prominent slave owner and abuser and that i imagine anybody listening to the podcast is fully aware of that so i'm not going to get into that controversy it's obvious why it would be there yeah so that's the that's the jefferson memorial in a nutshell it's made of like white marble mostly i just i don't feel the need to add much more about the like the construction materials and such yeah picture it and you can find pictures of it Mm -hmm. so i'm going to move on now to the lincoln memorial a little bit about this the history of this bad boy the lincoln memorial was far less controversial in its like inception because while plenty of americans were not fans of lincoln you know immediately following the civil war those ones didn't have much power at that point because they just lost so pretty much immediately after lincoln's death there were a number of proposals put forward to create some kind of memorial to Lincoln. The first public memorial was in Washington, D.C., was a statue by Lot Flannery erected in front of the District of Columbia City Hall in 1868. Uh, In 1867, Congress had passed the first of many bills incorporating a commission to erect a monument for Abraham Lincoln. Clark Mills, the American sculptor, was chosen to design the monument. This is insane. His plans reflected the nationalistic spirit of the time and called for a 70-foot structure adorned with six equestrian and 31 pedestrian statues of Lincoln, crowned by a 12-foot statue of Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Like we, we, we have one statue of Lincoln, and I think that's enough. This was going to be an entire, like, an entire, like, like, promenade of statues in this. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Subscriptions for the project were insufficient, and it wasn't until the start of the 20th century that it began to like pick up steam again. As we know, the latter half of the 19th century in American politics was kind of like 
full of corruption and full of not uh, people not really being able to do much. So in 1901, 1902, and 1908, Senator Shelby M. Cullum of Illinois put forward bills to create a new memorial commission. His sixth bill on it in 1910 finally passed, and the Lincoln Memorial Commission had its first meeting the following year. President William Taft was chosen as the commission's president. And they continued steadily, and by 1913, Congress had approved the commission's choice of design and location. So once it got rolling, it kind of just happened. Some people opposed the site, you know, at the opposite end of what is now the mall from the Washington Monument, because they thought that the reclaimed land in the West Potomac Park was either too swampy or too inaccessible. But ultimately, that was where they landed on. There was an approval of $300,000 allocated and the project got underway. And they they officially started in 1914. The statue of Lincoln was originally designed to be 10 feet tall and was enlarged to 19 feet to prevent it being overwhelmed by the huge chamber. The memorial was finished on schedule and dedicated on May 30th, 1922 and presented to President Warren G. Harding, who accepted it on behalf of the American people. Lincoln's only surviving son, Robert Todd, was in attendance, and prominent African Americans were invited to the event, but discovered upon arrival that they were assigned to a segregated section guarded by U.S. Marines. Of course. Of course. Of course. It was added to the National Register of Historic Places in October 1966. The exterior echoes a classic Creek temple and features Ewell marble, quarried from Colorado. Yeah. It has fluted Doric columns, not like those cheap ionic columns across the way. (laughs) And inscribed on the frieze above the colonnade are the names of of the 36 states in the Union at the time of Lincoln's death and the dates in which they entered the Union. There's a lot of detail. If you took the time and you wanted to, like, look at the the frieze and the above the the colonnade, there's actually a lot there. A lot of people put in a lot of work. I'm not going to get into it. There are a total of 87 steps from the chamber to the reflecting pool. The memorial's interior is divided into three chambers by two rows of ionic columns. And in the middle, of course, is the statue of Lincoln sitting on his, I guess, throne. And in the other, in the other sides are inscriptions of quotes and other like symbols to go along with, with the ideas of liberty and unity and such that are associated with Lincoln. There is also an undercroft underneath it. Due to water seeping through the calcium carbonate within the marble, stalactites and stalagmites have formed in the undercroft. Uh, During construction, graffiti was scrawled down there by workers, and it's considered historical by the National Park Service. Uh, There were regular tours of the undercroft during the 70s and 80s, but they stopped abruptly in 1989 after a visitor noticed asbestos and let Mm -hmm. them know. The Undercroft is planned to be open to visitors following a rehabilitation project funded by David Rubenstein. The statue itself was sculpted by Daniel Chester French, supervised by the six Piccirilli brothers. Piccirilli brothers? Piccirilli? If it's Italian, I think it should be Piccirilli, but it's probably pronounced Piccirilli. They were they were in on the construction of the of the memorial itself. It's carved from Georgia white marble. It was shipped in 28 pieces. And there are some features about it. An urban legend holds that the face of General Robert E. Lee is carved on the back of Lincoln's head and looks back across the Potomac toward Arlington House. 
Another popular legend is that Lincoln's hands are shown using sign language to represent his initials, his left hand signing A and his right hand signing L. National Park Service denies both legends. The sculptor was familiar with American Sign Language, so it's perhaps possible because Lincoln did sign the federal legislation to give Gallaudet University the authority to grant college degrees, so maybe it was a little nod to that. We don't know. And of course, the Lincoln Memorial has been the site of many important things, perhaps most notably the March on Washington and Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Mm -hmm. Plenty of vandalism. I'm not going to get into it specifically. Plenty of it, you know, being racially motivated. Some of it just being caused by people with mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still on the back of the $5 bill. And up until 2008, it was on the back of the penny. Hmm. From 1959 to 2008. All right. So that's that. And I'm going to quickly get to the Washington Monument. There's a lot about the Washington Monument. Uh, I'm going to hit a couple of things. You probably know what it is. It's a big obelisk on the National Mall. Commemorated to George uh, Washington, of course. I'm not going to get into who George Washington was, because hopefully we all kind of know that. Mm -hmm. It's made of marble, granite, and bluestone gneiss, which it's both the world's tallest predominantly stone structure and the world's tallest obelisk, standing at 554 feet, 7 and 1132 inches, according to National Geodetic Survey. It is the tallest monumental column in the world if all are measured above their pedestrian entrances. And it was the world's tallest structure between 1884 and 1889, until the Eiffel Tower took over it. Apparently, previously, the tallest structure was Cologne Cathedral. I don't know that. Uh, construction on this memorial began in 1848. It was suspended from 1854 to 1877 due to funding challenges and struggle for control over the Washington National Monument Society, as well as the Civil War. The original design was by Robert Mills from South Carolina, but construction omitted his proposed colonnade for lack of funds, and it proceeded with a bare obelisk. The cornerstone was laid on July 4th, 1848, and then various restartings in like 1880. The capstone was set on uh, December 6th, 1884, and the completed monument was dedicated February 21st, 1885, and it was opened in 1888. The interior is occupied by iron stairs that spiral up the walls. It now has an elevator in the center, each supported by four iron columns. An earthquake in 2011 slightly damaged the monument, and it was closed until 2014. Like I said, there were a number of proposals and various things. The The big thing that happened was in the 1800s, in like the, the 19th century, the Know Nothing Party, which I believe was just in Learned League? Yeah. The Know Nothing Party gained control of the Washington Monument Committee, which caused some problems because they were staunchly anti-immigrant. So they didn't want, I don't know, they didn't want marble from outside the United States used. The Know Nothings were not particularly like useful people. They were just a bunch of anti-immigrant, I don't know, squawkers. So it, it had some troubles in the in the middle of the, the 19th century there. Yeah, Pope Pius IX had sent a memorial stone, but members of the Know-Nothings destroyed it. A priest replaced it in 1982 using the Latin phrase Aroma Americae, which means Rome mm -hmm. to America. Um, after the Civil War, it took some time until 1876 when $200,000 was appropriated to resume construction. And then, like I said, eventually we got to the 1880s when finally 
it was done. The capstone is made of, do you know what material it's made of? I do not. It is made of a, a metal that was, at the time, extremely valuable, and that is aluminum. Huh. Because in the 19th century, aluminum was about as valuable as silver. And then we discovered a lot more of it, and now it's, you know, stuff we wrap food in and throw away. Huh. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to get into, like, the, the, the big details of it. It is surrounded by 50 American flags, and they are flown 24 hours a day in a large circle centered on the monument. And that's pretty much what I'm going to say about that. So those are the three big monuments. They're all within sight of each other. And in fact, some trees were like pruned and reshaped so that the Jefferson Memorial could be in view of the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there you go. Obviously, there are more in Washington, but hopefully that gives you a little more information to kind of differentiate which memorial we're talking about in Washington, D.C. Yeah, definitely. This has been delightful. All right. You ready for a quiz? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's do a quiz. So this quiz is about memorials. And that's what it is. Okay. So here we go. Question one. The M-S-D-M-S-M-P-M-C-R-A-P-A-F-R-R, lowercase f, lowercase t-c, was a fictional one-time athletic event, which had the intention of raising awareness and funds for a disease that's already been cured. What city did it take place in? Scranton. Yeah, it took place in Scranton. (laughs) Of course you recognize the initials for Michael Scott's Dunder Mifflin Scranton Meredith Palmer Memorial Celebrity Rabies Awareness Pro-Am Fun Run Race for the Cure. Yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) I mean, once it got a little bit absurd, I was like, okay. I think I know. I think I know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whose bad idea this would be. <laughs> I had that shirt because you got you got mm-hmm. that T-shirt when you bought the box set of season mm. four. Nice <laughs> of the office for anybody who's like, I don't know what that means. I imagine most people have watched the office by now. First episode of season four. Classic. Mm-hmm. That man, that cold open was so good. So good. So good. It's He's just like driving in, being like, I'm real, I'm feeling really good, feeling really positive. And then <laughs> he hits mm-hmm. her with this car. <laughs> oh, it's, oh man. Really, really set, set the mood for the whole season. Mm-hmm. All right. You're good. You're at 20 points because you got the first question and the first question right. Mm-hmm. All right. Question two The Motherland Calls is the tallest statue of a woman in the world, excluding those on pedestals. It is dedicated to the heroes of the Battle of Blank. At its base are 200 steps, representing the 200 days that the battle lasted. Similarly, Dmitry Shostakovich's Eighth Symphony is meant to be a musical reflection of that battle. Which city, and I will take any of the names that it has had in the last century, fills in that blank? Oh, no. No. It's Russian. I gather trying to think which Russian city would be a good guess. Hmm. I'm going to go with St. Petersburg. It is not St. Petersburg. The 200-day siege of Stalingrad uh-huh. is what it, what it is dedicated to. Now we call this city Volgograd, 
Uh-huh. Um, and before 1925, it was known as Saritsen. Okay. Which I learned today. But uh, yeah, obviously I approach it from Shostakovich's Eighth Symphony of like, it's like the Stalingrad Symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, but this statue is super cool. It's this like badass lady with a big sword. Hmm. Yeah, it's called the Motherland nice. Calls. And apparently cool. it's part of like a triptych of of giant statues. One is called Rear Front, and it's in Magnitogorsk. I don't know, that's somewhere in, in Russia. And then the Warrior Liberator is in Berlin. And it's thought that these three pieces show the sword being forged, raised, and then finally dropped in Berlin. Huh. Which is a super cool thing. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's the Motherland Calls. All right, you're still cool. at 20 points. That's okay. Question three. The Gen- Genbaku Dome is the centerpiece of the Peace Memorial Park of what city? It is one of the few buildings that survived the detonation of the Little Boy Bomb on August 6th, 1945. I don't remember which bomb went with which city, but I'm going to go with Hiroshima. And that's a good guess, because it is Hiroshima. That was really the what the question was. It's like, which one? Flip mm-hmm. a coin, or do you remember? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Little Boy was dropped on Hiroshima, which was first, or Hiroshima. And then Fat Man was the second bomb. So you could remember that a little boy grows up into a fat man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, just to get them in order chronologically, because yeah. um, Nagasaki was three days later. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hiroshima Peace Memorial Park looks pretty cool. Obviously. Obviously, the aftermath of World War II had a massive impact on Japan. All right, question four. You're at 30 points. We should know by now that the Taj Mahal is a mausoleum and memorial commissioned by Emperor Shah Jahan in 1632 for his favorite wife, Mumtaz Mahal. What city would you find the Taj Mahal in, as well as a number of other tombs and UNESCO heritage sites? You could say, in a very obtuse way, that it is four-sevenths of the way to Aladdin's home. It's Agra. It is Agra. I didn't know if you'd know that right off the top of your head. I've been doing Um, a lot of crosswords. Ah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, apparently there are a lot of like really impressive tombs in Agra. I had no um, idea. Also, the Red Fort is in Agra. Hmm. Um, it's just like steeped in Mughal history. Yeah, and so like the Taj Mahal is the one everyone knows, but like you could go and just like go and see a bunch of really impressive marble mausoleums. All right, question five. You're at forty points. Much closer to home. A memorial near Rebel Hill opened on September 21st, 2007, nearly eight and a half years after the inciting event. In the interim, there were other, less permanent memorials, including a set of 15 crosses that caused a lot of controversy. What high school is just across Clement Park from the memorial? I think it must be Columbine. I'm going to go with Columbine. It is Columbine. The, The Columbine memorial is really good. It's it's not very big, like, you, you know, you probably wouldn't, like, make a trip out to see it. But, like, it's it's very powerful. It's very well made. It's kind of understated, but it's it's very effective. And it's just across the park that's right next to the high school. There was, not long after, like, in the summer after the Columbine shooting, somebody went to Rebel Hill, which is right next to the the school and put up 15 crosses and there was a lot of pushback to that because there were 
in many people's opinion, I'm not going to necessarily take a side on this, but there were 13 victims and two shooters. Um, mm. And to put 15 up is to, in many people's opinion, to equate the victims to the perpetrators. Mm. And pretty soon after, one of the fathers of one of the victims went and took down two crosses like publicly. And was like, I'm not going to argue about this, but at the very least, they should not be recognized in the same place. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of a downer. So we're going to we're going to lift it up with this final question. And. Oh, man, I, I really don't know what category to give this. I don't know. Category title is not just in America. OK, oh, we draw 50. OK, here we are. Final question. Vardu, Norway is home to a memorial slash art installation that was completed in 2011. It commemorates the 91 people tried and executed there in 1621. A particular town in Massachusetts has a similar claim to fame from the same century, but in true American fashion, uses it for tourism and money grabs. What quote-unquote crime had they committed? Witchcraft. It is indeed witchcraft. Yes, the Steilneset Memorial to Victims of Witch Trials in Vardu, Norway. And it looks really cool. It is it is a very impressive looking uh, monument, you know, memorial. But apparently, witch trials were, you know, a thing that happened in a lot of places. And also, 91 is a lot. It is, yeah. I mean, Salem, I think, was like uh, uh, executed 19 people, right? Mm-hmm. Which is still a that lot. That sounds right. Yeah. Like, that's a lot. That's enough that's to be like, 19 never too many. again. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oof. So, uh, yeah. This this little place, Vardu, Norway, which is apparently the most westerly town in Norway, in case any trivia people need to know that. Hmm. So there you go. You got 100 points, my friend. Ooh, 100 points. That is so fun. I had a great time with this quiz and this deep dive and making this podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potent Kyle is putting the quiz questions on there even as we speak. As I'm we speak, sure. I just copy and paste them in. Good job. We did it. Because <laughs> I almost closed the tab. <laughs> that feeling where you like just close the tabs and like shut your computer. It's so good. And sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes the Patreon tab is just sitting right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you, and if you have friends who like Jeopardy, let them know about us. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables One. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. That's right. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm -hmm.